0: We're going to do now what we do each Sunday, we'll look at a passage from God's Word. We'll talk together about what it means, why it matters, and what we should do about it. So if you have a Bible with you, Bible app, anything to access the Bible with, or even the Bible under the seat in front of you, if you turn to our passage today in Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 4, beginning at verse 14, And when you found that, if you're able, if you would stand together with me for the reading of God's Word. Luke chapter 4, beginning at verse 14. Luke writes this, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And if you look just above our passage, you'll know that where Jesus has returned from is 40 days in the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil. So Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. And he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, "'The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, and to set the oppressed free.'" to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. Which, by the way, this is not as anticlimactic as it sounds. In this culture, in this time, the teachers would sit down in order to teach. Okay, So this isn't just like, hey, Jesus read the Bible and sat down. He sat down, and the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. That's God's word. may be seated we pray for us quickly and then we'll dive into this teaching spirit of God we ask that you would now open up hearts and minds and lives to receive what it is you want to give us today from your word promise us that when you send out your word it doesn't return to your void it accomplishes the purpose for which you sent it God accomplish that purpose in each one of us today as I always ask now eternal God would you move and govern my tongue to speak your truth amen Well, there are all kinds of places in life where we can miss out on the fullness of some experience because we overemphasize one aspect of it or one part of it or one half of it to the exclusion of the other. You see this in all kinds of different places. For example, maybe before you've heard someone say this, the best defense is a good offense. You heard this before? The best defense is a good offense. I mean, you hear this on all kinds of places, particularly in a sports context. And what people mean by that is if they can just have a strong enough offensive strategy, they don't even need to worry about having any kind of defensive strategy whatsoever. Hey, let the opposing team worry about defense while I'm raining down my offense all over their heads. Okay? Uh, Okay. Maybe, problem with that is when you think of winning at sports as only requiring an offensive strategy, with rare exception, what usually ends up happening is you're the one that ends up getting scored on, knocked out, choked out, whatever it is. That's just how it happens. You you need both. Or maybe you've heard someone say this before, sex is not that big a deal. It's not a big deal. By which people usually mean, uh, don't overcomplicate it. Don't, don't overthink it. Sex is about nothing more than two consenting adults coming together in order to experience pleasure. That's it. Okay? Don't, don't overthink it. Maybe, but the problem is when you see sex as, as only about your pleasure, what usually ends up happening is you end up creating and causing a whole lot of emotional damage and baggage for other people, not to mention carrying a lot of that yourself, too. But then, interestingly, flip that around doesn't work the other way either people who see winning at sports as only about defense sex is only about procreation end up with equally unfulfilling results no right in the end what you need the key is not to look on either of these things as being exclusively about one thing or the other but to see them as requiring both in order to be able to experience them and enjoy them as they were intended and I bring it up as we continue in this Advent teaching series we began last Sunday, entitled Long Expected, which is kind of focused all around the lyrics of this song we just sang, Come the Long Expected Jesus. Because, as I said last week, when we unpacked and established why the world was waiting and eager, eager expectation for Jesus coming to begin with, right, we talked about the origins of expectation. What we're going to be looking at for the remainder of this series is some of the ways that the many longing expectations Jesus came to bring about were fulfilled in Him and continue to be fulfilled in Him. But as we look today at the way that Jesus was born to bring us freedom, a longing that every single one of us has experienced, will experience to some degree at some point in our lives, I think many of us miss out on the fullness of the freedom Jesus came to bring as well. And for the very same reason I just mentioned, because we overemphasize one aspect of the freedom that Jesus came to bring over the other, or even to the exclusion of the other. And what I mean by that is, like, if you look at this passage again, no question, right? This first recorded teaching of Jesus at the outset of his earthly ministry here, it describes the kind of freedom that Jesus came to bring in great detail. All kinds of different aspects it unpacks. And yet, for those who see that the freedom Jesus is describing here as physical only... So Jesus is just speaking about economically destitute people, blind people, uh, those who are imprisoned and enslaved. So they see Jesus' ministry as uh, a ministry of healing only. Jesus is all about just social justice causes only. They miss out on the spiritual reality that freedom from many, if not all of those physical realities, is, is pointing to. But for those who see the freedom that Jesus is offering here as spiritual only, They miss out on experiencing freedom from some of the physical symptoms of sin's curse, if we could call it, that Jesus very much came to bring us freedom from as well. I don't know which one it is for you, which kind of is your default, but interestingly in Jesus' day, they actually saw the fulfillment of this prophecy from Isaiah as being primarily about physical freedom, freedom actually exclusively from Roman oppression. They were like, hey, good, God's going to come and do something about that someday. Whereas today, most times if you hear a message preached on this passage, it is presented primarily as being about bringing about spiritual freedom. This is just talking about spiritual realities. Which one is it for you? If you think about it, like what's your default? When you see Jesus here, he gets up, reads this passage from Isaiah, then sits down and says to everyone, today, this scripture is fulfilled In your hearing, that is like as a result of my coming. Is that fulfillment physical or spiritual? Which one is it for you? And I ask the question because how you answer it is going to determine whether or not you think Jesus came to bring freedom from whatever it is that you're longing freedom from today. Like Just to take this whole thing out of the theoretical and theological clouds for a minute, bring it down to earth just like bring it to the personal, everyday struggles that we face on a day-to-day basis. What I know is that if I were to sit down with each one of you today and ask you to complete this sentence, today, I'm longing to be free from blank. If I were to ask you to complete that sentence, my guess is that every single person in here would be able to put something in that blank. Listen, whether or not you think Jesus is the one who's able to bring you freedom from that thing or not, everybody's got something. Everyone has something today that we're longing for freedom from. My point is that whatever you fill in that blank space with, broadly speaking, would fit into one of those two categories, either a physical need for freedom or a spiritual need for freedom. It could be broadly speaking categorized those ways, which is why it matters. It matters how you think, what Jesus means when he says he's come to bring freedom in all these ways, whether it's physical or spiritual. It answers the question of whether or not Jesus came to bring freedom for you. The point I'm trying to make, and hopefully you'll understand better by the end of our time together in this passage, is that the key is not to look at the freedom Jesus came to bring as being exclusively about physical freedom or spiritual freedom but both. It's both. Because the reality is, I think we actually miss the fullness of what Jesus intended when he said this scripture was fulfilled in him, if we see him as only or even primarily, meaning just one type of freedom or the other. So in order to help make sure we don't miss that, we don't miss out on the fullness of what he intended, and to allow both of those realities to sink down deep into our hearts, particularly whichever one doesn't match your current starting point, I want to spend a few minutes talking about Jesus, how, he, how His coming fulfills all our longings for freedom. So we're going to just talk about those two things. We'll talk about longing for spiritual freedom and longing for physical freedom. Longing for spiritual and physical freedom. So if you close your Bibles, Bible app, whatever you're using, if you could open it again with me. To our passage, Luke 4, beginning at verse 14, follow along with me as we look at the coming of this long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. Okay, so let's look first of all at longing for spiritual freedom. Longing for spiritual freedom. And I suppose what might be good at the outset here is to kind of define what I mean by spiritual freedom because... For many of us, while we might have no problem understanding what it means for someone to be freed from physical captivity, from some prison or hostage situation, you might be asking yourself, like, how is it that someone can be held captive or held hostage spiritually? It's a great question. There's actually lots of places we could look at. In the Bible, to understand that, one of the clearest statements I think we have is from the Apostle Paul in Romans 6, where he says this, "...don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey? Whether you're slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, that is, obedience to God, which leads to righteousness." So ultimately, what, what Paul is describing there is how the one that we obey, like just think the, the, the thing you worship, the thing you serve, you sacrifice for in life, becomes like a slave master and to which you are then held captive. And from the moment that we read about last week in Genesis 3, that awful moment when Adam and Eve disobeyed the word of God and trusted the word of the serpent, if the Bible is right then the bent of every human heart since that day is towards and to obey sin and to obey self rather than God. It's the reason why, as Paul goes on to say in Romans 7, we keep failing to do all the good stuff that we know we should do and can't seem to stop doing all the bad stuff we know we should stop. What What that frustration that we experience is showing us, whether we understand it or not, is that we're longing for spiritual freedom. We're longing for that freedom, which is why it's such good news. When Jesus shows up 2,000 years ago in a synagogue in Nazareth, reads this incredible prophecy from Isaiah about freedom from captivity, and then Jesus declares he's the one who's come to bring it about. Because, you see, this is actually the fulfillment of that promise of God that the world had been longing for since that awful day that we looked at last week. Again, Adam and Eve, they rebel against God. His creation all becomes enslaved to sin. And then remember, in the moments that they had failed, God promises in that moment to send a rescuer. This, this seed of the woman who would come and fix everything that they had broken who would make the way to God back open and undo all the harm that had been caused by their failure. And over time, this rescuer, this seated woman, came to be known as the Messiah. Messiah in Hebrew or Christ in Greek, which means anointed one. Interesting, which is the very same language Jesus or Isaiah uses in verse 18 there in his prophecy, this anointed one. So what that means is that just like the angels announcing the birth of Jesus to shepherds in fields where they lay, now here Jesus' good news of great joy is that everyone in this Sabbath, on this Sabbath day in that synagogue, he's saying, I'm here now, that the rescuer that God promised to send to fulfill all of your longings for freedom, that's me. That's what Jesus is literally saying in this moment, which I don't know, you, you'd think If you're in this moment here, people would have been more skeptical of, they would have been more distrusting of someone just showing up in a synagogue, some Sabbath, and saying, hey, I'm the fulfillment of this Old Testament prophecy, this messianic prophecy, that's me. You'd think they'd be like, "Eh." Especially so for someone that they'd known since he was a young boy. You'd think they'd be like, man, come on. And yet, I mean, we didn't read this. You keep reading in verse 22, you see that initially, Jesus' self-declaration about himself was deeply compelling to everyone. They, They believed him and were amazed at these gracious words coming from his lips. Now, yes, as you read back in verses 14 and 15, when Jesus returns to Galilee, his reputation has already been spreading around that region like wildfire. So it's not like Jesus is just some random guy that, shows up some Sabbath and is saying, hey, I'm, I'm this, and everyone just has to believe it. But it's interesting that for whatever reason, where almost every other point in his earthly ministry, people are enraged by Jesus' claim to be the Messiah, here, they're open to receive Jesus' self-declaration and receive the freedom that he says he's come to bring. And that's the thing for you and me today as well. If we too can receive Jesus' self declaration about himself, about who he said he was, that he is in fact God's anointed minister of reconciliation, then the hope is that we too can experience the same spiritual freedom that his coming offers. Now, it might not be immediately apparent how Jesus' coming. How his coming brings about that offer into fulfillment uh, from these descriptions here in Isaiah's prophecy because they, they all seem like really physical things. But now that we understand this whole concept of sin as slavery, hopefully you can already begin to see how these descriptions could also be describing various forms of captivity to sin from which we also need to be freed as well. So look first of all at verse 18. Jesus says there he's preaching good news to the poor. Now, yes, the poor, that's a socioeconomic reality. But it can also have spiritual significance in that it can be a description of our spiritual poverty before God, the inability for any one of us to pay the debt that is owed for our sin in and of ourselves. which means the spiritual freedom that Jesus came to bring about is payment of that debt that we could never pay for ourselves. Look at these other descriptions, verse 18. Freedom for prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. What's interesting is that, again, these are all physical realities that are being described here. Throughout the Bible, these are also metaphors that are used regularly to describe our captivity to sin. Galatians 3, Paul speaks about the whole world being, quote, held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. 2 Corinthians 4, Paul talks about the God of this world blinding the minds of unbelievers, quote, to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel or the glory of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Finally, all throughout the Bible, when people are possessed by demons and evil spirits, the Bible speaks to them often as being oppressed. So these are metaphors that also are used to describe spiritual realities. Point again is that while Isaiah's Prophecy here is clearly describing physical realities. They become also vivid imagery to describe the longing we have to be freed from our equally real captivity to sin. The longing that later led Paul in Romans 7 to cry out in desperation, wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? To which he immediately responds to his own question, saying, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord which he means, though I've proven I can do nothing in my own strength and ability to rescue myself, I can have divine assurance of being delivered from captivity through Jesus Christ, this promised rescuer who came to bring about our our freedom from captivity. And then how fitting. How fitting is it that Jesus would end this reading from Isaiah in verse 19 there by proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That terminology, if you didn't know, a jewish person would be almost synonymous with the year of jubilee the year of jubilee which was this celebration that god had commanded every 50th year in the calendar that all work was to cease slaves were to be freed debts were to be forgiven do you know what that word jubilee in hebrew actually means a trumpet blast of liberty I don't know what you're struggling with today. I don't know what you are exhausted from fighting against, enslaved to, and feel helpless to be released from right now. But if the thing that you completed, that sentence I mentioned earlier this morning, had anything to do with a longing to be freed from some sin, some addiction, some bitterness, lust, inability to forgive, whatever it is, I pray that you would hear Jesus' proclamation of freedom that he makes here over captivity, a a freedom that he purchased with his own blood shed on the cross, like a trumpet blast of liberty in your own life today. Like a trumpet blast that that brought down the walls of Jericho. Like a trumpet blast that a soldier hears at the end of the day that signals the all clear, and that they can now rest in safety for the night. So that's how Jesus coming fulfills our longing for spiritual freedom the last thing I want to look at together is how Jesus fulfills our longing for physical freedom how does he do that and we need to look at this because for every person who filled in that sentence about longing to be free with a sin problem, there's somebody else in here who filled in that blank space with a longing to be freed from some physical problem, which no it doesn't have to mean for a second that those people don't feel like they need to be delivered spiritually as well it could just mean that maybe they feel like, I already know that I have that freedom from Jesus. I know that he purchased that freedom from me. But they've also always believed, or maybe always been taught, that spiritual freedom is all that Jesus came to bring about. Right? That, that they've always been taught these prophecies that Jesus quotes from Isaiah. They're just metaphors pointing to spiritual realities. But again, remember in Jesus' day... People of Israel absolutely saw this prophecy in Isaiah as having a primary, primarily physical fulfillment when the Messiah would come. It's undoubtedly why a few chapters later, when John the Baptist is still in prison, he sends some of his disciples to Jesus to ask him if he is in fact the Messiah. Are you the one who is sent, or should we be waiting for someone else? Why would he ask that? Well, because it says pretty clearly here: uh, freedom for the prisoners. And so John is confused. If you really are the Messiah, why haven't I been busted out? What am I still doing in prison? But if you look at the reply that Jesus sends back to John, it's intriguing. He says, Go back and report to John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cured. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. Do you notice anything missing in that description? Yeah, okay, even if you didn't, John sure did. Uh, he, in fact, I'm sure any money, like when they brought that description back to him, he said, okay, oh, great, that's awesome, so, so good. Um, and Anything else he happened to say? And sure, there's nothing else that he happened to include there. No, which meant what? Jesus uh, couldn't free John from prison? Uh, uh, that he left that pro- part of the prophecy out, sort of hoping that John wouldn't notice that he hadn't mentioned that? Maybe um, is Jesus trying to let John down easy, trying to just say like, hey, listen, I'm able to do all kinds of things that clearly point to the fact that I'm the Messiah, but when it comes to doing something illegal, like breaking people out of jail, I mean, you get it, that's, I I can't, it's not really going to be a good look for me, I'm coming preaching righteousness and then like doing illegal stuff, that's not going to be a good look. Is that what's going on? Well, it can't, it can't be what's going on because we have at least two examples in the book of Acts where Jesus does exactly that. Peter, first of all, and then Paul and Silas later. Jesus is like, come on, guys, let's get out of here. He's very much in the prison break ministry. So what's going on? Well, it means ultimately the message Jesus is sending back to John in his prison cell is this. Yes, I am the Messiah. I'm the Messiah that Isaiah prophesied about, and I absolutely have the power to fulfill your longing for physical freedom. But don't fall away. Don't don't lose your faith in me if my fulfillment of that longing doesn't look like what you thought it would look like. And if you follow Jesus for any length of time, you've undoubtedly heard a similar reply from Jesus at times as you wait in the prison cell of some physical suffering that you're longing to be freed from. Maybe you wrote, or you would write, depression or anxiety in that blank space. Something you're longing to be freed from. Maybe you wrote financial strain, relational brokenness, some chronic or even terminal illness that you've suffered under for a long time. And isn't this exactly what we were praying for for seven years for Dr. Ken Elliott, held in like literal captivity after being abducted by Islamic militants. Why why hasn't God brought about freedom from these physical evidences of sin's curse like we know and believe he can? What we need to know in those moments of longing for freedom that seems to remain unfulfilled is that it's not that Jesus can't. It's not even that he won't eventually free you from that physical captivity. And listen, when you look at the ministry of Jesus, you see that that's absolutely the case. And there's countless testimonies of people in this room, myself included, who could testify to the truth. Jesus absolutely has the power to bring about physical freedom. Okay, so it's not, I know sometimes you hear a response like that and you're like, okay, I knew it, yeah. It really is spiritual only, right? He doesn't really bring about physical freedom. No, he does. He can But when those longings for freedom remain unfulfilled, at least in the way that we imagined, what you need to know as well is that when your faith is truly put in Jesus, freedom is something that can still be experienced regardless of whether he changes the present circumstances under which you're suffering or not. Isn't that what we sing each year in the classic Christmas Carol faith of our fathers? Our fathers chained in prison dark, worse still in heart and conscience-free. How? How are they free? I think the only way to begin to even try to describe that is from something we learned about last week, about the difference between longing to get back to the garden versus longing to get back to God. longing for a place versus longing for a person. Because sometimes, no, not always, but sometimes, what we're longing for in our physical freedom has more to do with returning to a picture that we have in our minds from the garden, something that we remember of freedom or rest or provision. It has more to do with that than it does for longing for the freedom and rest that can only be found in God himself. And if we're honest, like really honest with ourselves, we'd take the garden over God. If I knew I could just have freedom, even just for a day, and God wouldn't be there, I'd probably take it. It shows that what we're really longing for is the garden and not for God. The problem with that is that that's not a request that God will ever grant for you. Not because he can't bring about that picture for freedom for you, but because he knows freedom apart from him is not truly possible. There is no garden without God. So I guess my point at the end of the day is simply this. 100%. Yes. Bring your longing for physical freedom to Jesus just the same as you bring your longing for spiritual freedom. Absolutely bring those requests for physical freedom. He truly did come to bring about both. As I've said, Jesus plainly revealed here to John the Baptist as well. Far more than just spiritual realities. These prophecies from Isaiah are about physical realities that Jesus did bring about and which he can still bring about today. There's testimonies all over this room. Again, people who could say, yeah, that's exactly true. They've experienced physical freedom from disease, from oppression, from addiction, from anxiety. And isn't this just what we saw this past year after seven years incarcerated, kept by these Islamic militants, Dr. Ken Elliott freed. God had a different time of when he was going to bring about physical freedom, but it wasn't as if he failed all those years we were praying for it, right? But if in his infinite wisdom, and we need to trust that it is infinite, God should choose to bring about your physical freedom in some other way or at some other time, than you imagine, know this, his grace will still be sufficient for you. And you can hear no less of a trumpet blast of victory over your captivity, even if that victory Jesus secures for you is not out from your circumstances, but through them. As the late, a great pastor and author Tim Keller was known to put it, and I always loved this, God will only grant in prayer what we would have asked for if we knew everything He knows. Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. An incredible proclamation of freedom given by the one who had been promised of old to bring it about. Freedom for both spiritual longings as well as our physical longings. But I hope you see a little better now why we need to hear both of those emphases in order to get the full picture, to truly understand and grasp the fullness of this freedom that Jesus came to bring. Right? That how, how we miss out on the fullness if we see Jesus' offer of freedom as only being about spiritual freedom or only being about physical freedom. We need both in order to get the fullness of it. And yet for all that I've tried to show you about the importance of seeing how the coming of Jesus fulfills all of our longings for freedom, there's a powerful truth to take with us this morning as we go in considering an aspect of Jesus' proclamation that he actually leaves out, but which every commentator I read noticed, mentioned, and which I believe Jesus actually wanted us to go back and discover ourselves as well, much like When he quoted Psalm 22 from the cross and kind of saying, go back and and see what I'm pointing to. And it's found when you look at this reading that Jesus gave from the prophet Isaiah, but looking in particular where he stopped reading. For in Luke's gospel here, right, look at verse 19. Jesus finishes the reading, set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then there's a period. Jesus sits down and begins to preach. But when you look back at this passage that Jesus is quoting from in Isaiah 61 yourself, what you read is this, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. Now, why would Jesus leave that part out? Why would would he conceal the fullness of what the Messiah had come to do? I mean, I guess this is the first recorded teaching. Maybe he doesn't want to start off on a negative note, why would he leave that out? I believe the reason is because what Jesus knew was that at this coming, he'd been sent to take the vengeance of God against sin himself, not to bring it. To bring about the very freedom he was proclaiming by suffering the wrath of God against sin that we deserved on the cross. There's there's no other God like this, born for our freedom. The God who justly punishes our offenses against him, which means he's just, but then also graciously takes the punishment for those offenses upon himself, which means he's also merciful and gracious. For in Jesus, again, having just returned from being tempted by the devil himself in the wilderness, here earlier in chapter 4, we find Jesus is the true and better Adam, who suffers under temptation just as Adam and Eve did, but instead is perfectly obedient to God and then transfers that perfect obedience to us while taking the just punishment for our failure to obey upon himself and secures our freedom and opens the way back to God for all time. I don't know how you'd complete that sentence. Today I am longing to be freed from blank. I don't know. But however you'd fill in that blank space, I pray that today you would see from our passage that Jesus is truly able and willing to bring about freedom, to sound that trumpet blast of liberty over every one of those things, regardless of whether it's something spiritual or something physical. As the author of Hebrews says, Hebrews 4, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in every time of need. There's no stipulation there between the type of need, to help in every time of need. But along with believing that and having hope in that freedom, I pray that our hearts would also be filled with gratitude today as we think of everything that it costs Jesus in order to bring about that freedom for us. Amen.